Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Bitter. Bitter, it's a taste like cheap coffee. Bitter, it's a temperament like a cold chill. Bitter, it's a characteristic like a cantankerous person. And Naomi, she was bitter. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter and really who can blame her if life was a game if her life was a game it's not merely that the deck was stacked against her nor that she'd been dealt a bad hand but it seems that every card that was turned way hey was a joker bethlehem the house of bread had no bread leaving protected the family but dishonored the community the land of refuge was the land of their enemies. Love was found among foreign women. I mean, what would Ezra and Nehemiah have said? And then economic and emotional security died, not once, not twice, but three times. We're not finished yet. As if to add insult to injury. And although the return to Bethlehem would be humiliating enough, it was complicated by the foreigner who wouldn't take no for an answer and insisted on accompanying her and would be forever a living reminder of the whole sad, sorry and shameful episode. But we're still not done yet. For in her faith, Naomi's only conclusion is that God has turned against her and God has done this to her. Don't call me Naomi. Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Bitter. Taste, a temperature, a temperament, and who can blame her? I wonder if you've ever tasted bitter. I have. Let down, set up, sidelined, betrayed by those who for some reason you thought would treat you differently. We thought they would treat us differently because they were Christian. When it happens, it leaves a sort of bad taste in the mouth. Bitter. I wonder if you've ever felt the cold chill of bitter. I have. When I was growing up, I grew up in the west of Scotland, and our diversity consisted of two groups of people, Catholics and Protestants. We knew what we were by the churches we did or did not attend, by the schools that we went to, by the football teams that we supported, and by the vile swear words that we learned. While I was growing up, the antagonism between Catholics and Protestants could show itself in a whole variety of ways. At times it showed itself, well, simply in jokes, snide remarks, and don't forget the sectarian songs. At times in growing up, antagonism between Catholics and Protestants showed itself 
when you didn't get a job because somewhere during the interview, someone realized you belonged to the other side. At times when I was growing up, the antagonism between Catholics and Protestants could show itself sadly and tragically in violence in the streets. The reasons for this antagonism, a complex mixture of misremembered and misappropriated history, religion, and national identity. But for some people, this antagonism ran ditch deep. They were cold and hard, and we would call them bitter. I remember one night feeling the cold chill of bitter. It was after dark. I was walking along Galloway Street, Springburn, Glasgow. Galloway Street was the street where the local Baptist church that I had become the pastor in was located. And I was out there at night. Why was I out there at night? I was out there at night doing the whole urban mission thing. I was walking the street. I was listening. I was praying. I was looking. I was sensing. What would my ministry be in this area? As I walked under two concrete walkways that joined together the poor quality local authority housing, two young men stepped out from a doorway in the shadows. They began to speak to me. Quickly, they asked me a question. What team do you support? To let you know, at that time in Glasgow, this was not a question about sport. This was a question about religion. Was I a Protestant or was I a Catholic? And they would work it out by which team I supported. Did I support Rangers or did I support Celtic? Now, maybe you can say at least there's a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And it was looking as though it might be important that I got it right. So I gambled. I laughed. I said, oh, me, I support the Peasies, which was a nickname for the local amateur football club. They laughed and I walked away. But I didn't look back for I felt the cold chill of bitter. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of bitter, but if you want to, I suggest you just have a look at some of the Facebook posts among friends as they discuss the blockade in Ontario. Bitter. Bitter, it's a taste, bitters, a temperature. Bitter can be a temperament, an identity, a, a character. You know the kind of thing, don't bother with them, they're just a bitter old person. Yet, that identity, that, that character, there can be something very honest about it, very authentic about it. Indeed, we might want to say there can be something sweet about it. For if you wrap yourself in bitterness, it puts a protective wall around your heart and your mind protecting you from future and further disillusionment, disenchantment, disappointment. I mean, if you don't expect anything, you won't be disappointed when you get nothing. Sometimes bitter is all that someone has left. And Naomi was bitter. Taste the bitterness, feel the chill 
when she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Bitter. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant, she says. Call me bitter. My life is empty, she says. And the narrator says, so Naomi, hold on. Where have they been? Out for refreshments during the first part of the story. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara, she says. Don't call me pleasant, she says. Call me bitter, she says. The next verse, 22, or the next verse, so Naomi. Who is this that sees her story, knows her pain, but will not accept that bitter should be the last word? Who is this that refuses her conclusion to her condition? Who is this that speaks of fullness rather than emptiness? Who is this that indicates the sweet beyond the bitter? Who is this that tells this deeply human story of Ruth? A story which is when it's read in the synagogues, is actually read alongside the giving of the law in Exodus 19 and 20. Who is this that tells the story of a peaceable kingdom, a peaceable kingdom in the brutal days of the judges? Who is this that makes a foreigner the hero and, my goodness, a woman the leader? Who is this that acknowledges all that she has suffered, yet refuses to accept that bitterness need be her last words. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not actually asking who wrote the book of Ruth. It's not a question about the author. Whether it was Samuel, as the tradition says, whether it was Nathan, an interesting idea, or whether it was an unknown woman, an even more interesting idea. My question isn't really about authorship, it's about theology. Who is the God of the narrator that means that despite all she says, they will not let bitter be the last word. Many, many years ago, in saying that, it reminds me how old I really am. Many, many years ago, I preached a series of sermons on the book of Ruth. I was reminded of that recently when I was reading a book called Borders and Belonging, Ruth, a story for our time, written by two Irish writers, Patrick Otuma and Glenn Jordan. And it was in reading that book that I learned that in the synagogues, at what we would call the Feast of Pentecost, Ruth is read alongside Exodus 19 and 20. I mean, who thought that was a good idea? The chapters in Exodus, which were part of which was read for us at the beginning, contrasts starkly with the book of Ruth. The setting in the book of Exodus is epic and magnificent. In Exodus 19 and 20, we have fiery images. We have smoking mountains. We have a trembling earth. It's sort of like a widescreen surround sound scene from Lord of the Rings. In contrast to that, we have the very rural and human story of Ruth. They seem to be in such contrast. Yet, as Otuma and Jordan point out, right in the middle of all the light and sound, 
of Exodus 19, and here I quote, I'm right in the middle of all of this. Alone, human voice pierces all of the din and is heard and finds a divine voice responding. Exodus 19, 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. This is important, so stay with me. For in this interaction between Moses and God, we are pointed to something which if we look through the smoke, we will see goes beyond the giving of the law. Indeed, if we're willing to look through the smoke, we'll see something that undergirds and transcends the potential of the law. That is, we will see a God who enters into relationship with persons and people to journey with them through this world and does so not seeking their harm, but seeking their good. Jesus, many years later, will affirm this understanding of the law. Mark 3, faced with a man with a shriveled hand, he turns to the keepers of law and he says to them, which is lawful in the Sabbath? To do good? or to do evil, to save life, or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. If the book of Ruth is a very human story about law and leadership, it's also a story about God's kindness that can transcend and transform situations. Naomi is actually aware of the power and the presence and the potential of the kindness of God. She extends it to other people. You heard it in Ruth chapter 1. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness of you, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi knows the potential and power and possibility of the transformative kindness of God. But after all that has happened to her, she cannot accept this and apply it to herself. And so the narrator speaks to her and for her and for all who are like her, calling her again Naomi. Because bitterness does not need to be the last word. The God of the book of Ruth does not load the deck, stack the cards, play the joker, and then abandon the players to their despair. The God of the book of Ruth is a relational God who journeys with people, who turns towards rather than away, who turns with kindness rather than affliction. The narrator insists on calling her Naomi because they know the end of the story and they believe in a God who moves with people as they journey through the world in the direction of restoration, redemption and transformation. The narrator insists on in calling her Naomi because with this God, bitterness, need not be the last word. Last week I had the privilege of a ringside seat 
to listen to Dr. Rhonda Britton, Dr. Lena Anderson deliver the Simpson lectures on racism and the church. At times I was appalled and shocked to hear some of the stories of, histor of historic and sometimes recent and personal dehumanizing discrimination that they have experienced because they are people of color. I had a question, I did not ask them it, but over the weekend I emailed them and I asked them it. I told them I was preparing for this sermon and at core my question to them was, why are you not bitter? Both kindly and honestly answered my question. Their answers, among other things, I won't read them, their answers, among other things, pointed me to faith in God and trust in the faithfulness of God to journey towards his purposes. As a consequence, I found myself drawn again to the words of the final speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., April 3, 68, the last speech he delivered. This speech by King was delivered out of and into tremendous complex personal and social struggle. The next day, on April the 4th, following King's assassination, Robert Kennedy would appeal to people, and this was a word he used, not to be bitter, because King had not been like that. And indeed, the day before, on April the 3rd, instead of bitterness, King spoke time and time again of being happy. And as he spoke about being happy, he took his speech to a celebratory climax with these words. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Frank Thomas says that with these words, King abandoned himself and his cause into the cosmic victory of God. It was God and God alone and King was overcome so much so that he couldn't complete the likely intended words, his truth is marching on. Who is this that refuses to call Naomi bitter? It is the one who believes in God and in the faithfulness of God, a God who journeys with people not seeking their harm, but their good, and journeys with them in the direction of ultimate redemption, restoration, and transformation. And so our chapter finishes. So, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, 
Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And they finish in that way. Because with the God of Ruth, bitterness need not be a last word. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel Podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.